I'll be reading from Exodus 20, verse 13. Exodus 20, verse 13. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. You shall not murder. Brandon remarked that that was the easiest scripture reading he has ever had in his time here. And I hope he'll remember that next time, whenever it is, that uh, I choose to give him Genesis chapter 10 as the uh, scripture reading. And you can go through and read that in your spare time and see how many names in there you can't pronounce. But we're glad to see you once again. Thank you so much for being here this evening. We have been working slowly but surely our way through the Ten Commandments on Sunday evening. And I want you to understand something about the Ten Commandments in the fact that it's all about the holiness of the people of God. Here is God's top ten list, if you will, of things that will define his people as holy, as his people who are set apart by all the different values or the different values of the pagan nations around them. The first four, you remember, have to do with their specifically their relationship with God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven images. Uh, make sure to revere the name of the Lord your God. Don't take it in vain, he would say. Uh, you know, number four is about keeping the Sabbath holy. Here's a special day set apart from all of the days that's all about keeping people holy. When you look at commandments number five through ten, the last six, it has to do with the relationships between individuals, starting with honoring the ones that you are brought up in that house, that is mother and father. The next one in understanding, uh, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, and then culminating completely in the respect of the neighbor and the property and saying, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Again, paraphrase, Baker version. But you understand that the purpose of it is realizing that here are people that God has pulled out of the world in order to make special. It is interesting to us this evening, sitting here thousands of years removed from when the initial Ten Commandments were given there on Mount Sinai in Exodus 20, and we say, Andy, we're under a new law, and that's absolutely right. The old law was nailed to the cross, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. We're not under the old law. And yet, in understanding who God wants these people to be in holiness, it's also helpful for us to realize who God wants us to be in holiness. Because you're going to find in the New Testament, nine out of ten of these are repeated in principle, if not in word form in the pages of our New Testament. Everyone except for keeping the Sabbath holy. In fact, if you go back to Colossians chapter 2, he's going to go into discussion about not letting somebody uh, 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 judge you if you want to observe the Sabbath or not observe the Sabbath because God took all of that. It was just a shadow of the things to come. We have the reality that is Christ. So how are we to understand this commandment, you shall not kill? Now, that's the old King James rendering of it. And looking at you shall not kill, here's the question that we want to consider just for a moment. Is it ever right to take the a life? Is it, ever, is it always wrong to take a life intentionally? Because of the wording of the old King James, you shall not kill, particularly there has come up where the Christians have come up with two primary viewpoints, if you will, or primary positions based upon killing. The first one is that you can call it a pacifist point of view. Some have advocated that it is absolutely 100% wrong to kill in any instance. You'll find these people that may be uh, uh, what we call conscientious objectors. That is, if it ever comes time that the military is going to draft somebody into the armed forces, they're saying, no, I can't do that because I believe that it's absolutely 100% wrong to kill. So there you're not going to find 
that they're going to serve in the military. Religiously, they exempt themselves from that. You know, I understand the reasoning behind this. Because when you consider that God made human beings the pinnacle of his creation, that with everything else God's spoken into existence, but you remember in Genesis chapter 2 as he goes back and expands what he said there in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that God formed man of the dust of the ground. And what did God do? He didn't use his word to bring him to life. He used his breath. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living, well, my English version says being. The word is soul. There's something in you that God started way back from the beginning, and that God purposed from the beginning, and there's something in you that's eternal in nature. More on that here in just a moment. But because of that, I don't want to be a person that robs somebody else of that, uh, that body, that one opportunity that they have here on this earth to make their soul right and launch that person out into eternity. The same reasoning in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, somebody might look at this and say, you know what? It's wrong to kill because every face I looked into is an image bearer of God. The Lord God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, let us make man. And as God created man, we bear the image of the God who created us. What does he look like? I don't know. But I know that I bear his image, and I know that you do as well. Man, as we understand that, you understand that there's something sacred about life, that there's something, uh, something different about life. A living soul that's going to go on after life is over. I don't know how many of y'all saw the uh, the movie, and I'm not recommending it per se, but um, the one that was called Hacksaw Ridge about the Sabbatarian gentleman that went into battle. He adopted this point of view, and he said that uh, uh, it's wrong absolutely to take a life, and because of that, he refused to go into battle with a uh, with a rifle. And instead, he became a medic and actually won a, uh, a Medal of Valor, I believe, from, uh, from his uh, efforts in the War of the Pacific. It's very, very interesting to see him in his life. That's the first position. The second position has to do with this. It is wrong to take a life when we're not talking about in war, or in self-defense, or in capital punishment. It is wrong to kill if it is that I'm just going to go out and take a life. But if we're talking about times of war, and times of self-defense, and times of capital punishment, then those things are allowed. There is some biblical basis to this position. In fact, God knew that there would be times of fighting and, yes, killing. You remember Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 3. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. When you see the euphemism that God tells the Israelites to strike the city with the edge of the sword, that's a euphemism for killing within a combat situation, within a battle. Numbers chapter 31, verse 17, talks about smiting and putting to death people, um, speaking of specifically the death penalty for people that are in, uh, in violation of specific ordinances of God's word. To be honest, that's a different word than what we find here in Exodus 20 and verse 13. When we talk about capital punishment, if you're still there in Exodus 20, look over in chapter 21 and verse 12. God tells these people that you're going to put to death somebody who violates this specific command of you shall not kill. It's something, capital punishment is something of which God in this instance sanctions and approves. And in fact, when you go over and connect this with the New Testament view or principle from Numbers chapter 13, 
it talks about how God has placed the authorities that are in power as ministers that do not bear the sword in vain. Speaking specifically, I believe, about capital offenses and how it is that the governments have the right to exercise capital punishment based upon those who, uh, uh, who transgress in certain instances the law. What God, did God have in mind with this commandment? What did God have in mind with Exodus 20 and verse 13? I want you to realize that the old King James Version is not the most accurate with regard to how this word is translated. The one that Brandon read from, you shall not commit murder, is more in line with what the original word is, therefore kill. In fact, there's two words that are used specifically in the New Testament, which we're interested in, that have to do with killing. One of them has to do with murder and homicide. In fact, when Jesus would quote this back in the New Testament in the Sermon on the Mount, he would use that word for murder and homicide. Somebody that, un that uh, wrongfully takes a life, that intentionally takes a life. The second word that's used in the New Testament has to do with a person committing what we call manslaughter, a manslayer. Uh, 1 John 3, 5 and John 8, 44. You're talking about something that's maybe accidental in nature versus the intentional killing of someone uh, that's that's... Uh, that's here on this earth. What did God have in, in mind with regard to this commandment? I believe it's this. In making a holy people, as we talked about just a moment ago, what God understood was a lawless society. A lawless society is a society where you have horrible living conditions for people, where the fundamental honor and for another human being's life is not respected. When somebody can absolutely be cavalier about somebody else's life and about a human life in general, he's talking about a society where you're going to not know from one moment to the next whether or not somebody is going to take your life. So you've maybe seen the bumper sticker or heard the saying, where God is not, anything is permitted. God knew that, and so as he gives this in the top ten, you're finding that God is establishing the moral foundation for the respect of your neighbor's life in a very special way. And that's something that we need to really think about. Of note, and it may not be interesting to anybody else but me, this commandment, as well as the next two, only have two words in the original language to talk about you shall not kill. Two words. The next commandment, you shall not commit adultery, is two words. The next one, you shall not steal, is two words. They are of the utmost simplicity, but we would do well to consider the ramifications of violating such commandments. Here are a few principles for you to consider about this this evening as we, uh, as we apply it. Number one, what are some principles of applying the sixth command? Number one, brothers and sisters, we need to respect the sanctity of life. We need to respect the sanctity of life. We mentioned in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 that God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. What happened whenever it was that two chapters later when Cain and Abel were out there in the field and the Bible says that Cain rose up and he slew his brother Abel. Again, a good King James word. The word there is to slaughter him. He was not just uh, just beat him over the head with a stick, but Cain was out to hurt. Cain was out to mangle Abel. 
And you get a sense into the rage and the anger that had built up in him. The same rage and anger that God said, be careful about that, Cain. It's crouching at the door. Sin's wanting. It's desirous for you. I want you to master this, Cain. I want you to make, uh, make it your own. Don't, don't engage in this. But Cain did that. And so when God came and Cain had buried his brother in the ground, you remember God said, where's your brother? And he said, am I my brother's keeper? And God said, what have you done, Cain? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It's funny to me that God would place such an emphasis on blood. In fact, when you go through the Old Testament and you start looking at books like Leviticus, and how Leviticus 17, 17 says the life of the flesh is in the blood, you need to treat the blood as special. You need to be careful about the blood and, and, and how it is that you treat it whenever it comes out of the body because it bears life. It carry, uh, continues to, to keep you going. God said... Be careful about that. You'd better be careful about spilling blood or shedding blood. Again, another euphemism for taking innocent life. And it's something that God takes very, very seriously. We could stop and camp out here for the rest of the time in talking about the taking of life that occurs every day in our country. It's horrible. It's horrendous. It is morally evil. And it's something, brothers and sisters, that we need to be more and more outspoken against because one of the things that God mentions in the list of things that he hates there in Proverbs chapter 6, a proud look, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. When we talk about respecting the sanctity of life, we've got to understand that what people have tried to do is take this baby that's still in the womb and treat it like everything but life that's been created in God's image. They want to treat it like it's just a, a massive lump of tissue and cells, and they want to try and refer to that, but it is life. It's something that God has purposed and something that God has created. That baby is an image bearer of God. And brothers and sisters, we better respect that. In fact, again, we could stop here and camp out and say we'd better be careful about respecting any political party or any political candidate that doesn't have the respect for the sanctity of life at the core of who that person is and what it is that they're trying to do. Because what's going to happen is, brothers and sisters, that they don't have respect for the life that's still in the womb, what happens whenever it comes time for respecting a life that's outside of the womb? If they don't understand that there's something about life that's sacred and special, then it may be just a matter of time before we start talking about genocide like they did back in the days of Hitler. Something to think about, but again, we're not going to camp out there. But brothers and sisters, we better respect the sanctity of life. Number two, what God wants us to do more than anything else, it's not just about do not murder. <laughs> I can treat a lot of people badly, but not murder them. Have I fulfilled that commandment? Have I fulfilled my obligation as a Christian? The answer is no. In fact, if you want to talk about it in terms of how it is that I ought to treat other people, I've got to use three words, loving, honoring, and being peaceful towards other people. Flip over in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 5. We made mention of this passage this morning, but Matthew chapter 5, beginning of verse 21 Jesus in this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, you remember that he uses a series of, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. He goes through that in Matthew chapter 5 and proving and showing that 
people's righteousness needed to go beyond what the Pharisees and Sadducees said it was. And he goes beginning in verse 21 and saying, you shall not, you've heard it said of old, to those who are old, you shall not commit uh, murder. He said, but I say to you, he who is angry with his brother without cause is in danger of the judgment. Wait a minute, Jesus. You're saying it begins with how I begin to think about somebody and what it is that I think about who they are and how it is that they behave? You're saying that I am already guilty of that? I'm already in danger of the judgment because of that? Jump down to the context. Verses 25 and 26, he says, I want you to agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way. Here's two people who are going to the judge to try and settle the matter. And Jesus says, you be the person that says, can't we work this out now? Before it is that the judge hands you over to, uh, uh, to, uh, to, the, uh, to the jailer and before the judge makes you pay for your crimes. What are we talking about? We're talking about a pride that looks down its nose at somebody else and says, you owe me something or I'm better than you in this one instance or I'm better than you in a lot of instances or I'm better than you in every instance. When we let that kind of pride creep into our thinking, we begin to look at our brothers and sisters and say, you empty head, you don't have a lick of sense, you don't have this or you don't have that, and you're looking down your nose at somebody, and Jesus says, you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're in danger of the judgment. It's not about not murdering. It's about the fundamental respect and honoring and being peaceful towards other people that are created in God's image. That waiter or waitress may have messed up your order royally, but you don't have the right to treat them like they don't have a lick of sense in their head. These people may get on your every last nerve, but you don't have a right to be dishonoring to them and to treat them like they're just fools, like you're all wise. It's about pride, but it's also about looking at this and saying, I want to behave in a humble way. I want to behave like Jesus in loving and honoring and respecting other people and trying to be peaceful with them. Isn't that what Romans chapter 12 says? So much as it depends on you, I want you to live peaceably with all men. I'm not looking to pick up the sword at every single opportunity that sometimes somebody makes me mad. In fact, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 11, John says, For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain. What did Cain do? Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother was righteous. In the same context, John, the apostle, inspired of the Holy Spirit, said, 1 John 3, verse 15, He who hates his brother is a murderer. It's about looking and honoring and lifting up other people and not about just not killing them. It's not just about not killing them. Application. Don't put yourself in a position where you simply think evil thoughts or think that you're better than other people all the time because that begins in the heart. You're talking about a pride. And you can't let the love of God dwelling a heart that's full of anger and animosity and malice towards fellow humans. Question. If that's the heart that you're cultivating, who is it that you're going to teach the gospel effectively to? Who is it that you're going to reach out to in a way that this person says, I see that this person loves me and cares about my soul, when you're too busy going around and treating people like they're worthless? 
we've got to see the sanctity of life, but we've got to see the respect and honoring and loving and being peaceful towards fellow humans. Principle number three from commandment number six. Don't be so quick to pick up the sword. Don't be quick to pick up the sword. As with anything, brothers and sisters, the heart matters so much. Making sure that the heart is right is going to keep you from undue suffering and heartache, even for something like, um, well, manslaughter. I can't imagine. I had a friend of mine that accidentally hit somebody as he was driving down the road. Man, so was walking along the sideway, and I don't know if he tripped or stumbled, but he fell out in front of this guy's car and he hit him. He didn't kill him, thankfully. But this man felt horrible just about, I can't imagine if it was that this person had lost his life, how that person would have felt that was driving that car. But you understand that there's heartache and hurt that's brought into somebody's life. In fact, first, uh, first Peter chapter 4 and verse 15, Peter would go on, and he would say, let none of you suffer as a murderer. But if he's going to suffer, let him suffer as a Christian. Wait a minute, Peter. You're saying that there's suffering that can be brought about if somebody kills or takes somebody else's life? And he says, yes, that's exactly right. So what do I need to concentrate on? What do I need to think about? You think about my heart. I know in our country, self-defense is big. And being able to defend our homestead is big. And being able to have the right to bear arms is big. And we've got rifle associations and people that are in high places that are arguing for uh, gun laws and making sure that, that uh, rights are not being infringed upon or restricted. And I understand those are rights that we have. But I also understand, brothers and sisters, that the heart is so important. The heart that we carry with that is so important. I had a Christian friend at one time tell me about a brand new gun that he bought. And he was describing it in all of its detail. It was a 45, and, and he was just so proud of it, and he shined it up and brought it out and showed it to me. He said, man, I just hope that somebody breaks into my house. That's evidence of the wrong heart. That's evidence of the wrong heart. Our country may permit the use of lethal force, defending a homestead, but that is not the desire, or it shouldn't be the desire of anyone to have it or to want to use it in that case. I have high respect for veterans of war. And in fact, I remember a social studies class that I sat in whenever I was a teenager. And I knew that the uh, teacher was a Vietnam veteran. Of course, students sometimes push buttons like they like to. But one of them said, uh, sir, you were in Vietnam. He said, yes, that's right. He said, did you ever kill anybody? He said, I don't want to talk about it. I've heard that response from more veterans, and I appreciate that because that means whether they did or not, it means that if they had had it to do differently, they wouldn't have. If they had been in any other situation, they wouldn't have. And yes, there may be regret and sorrow for what it was that they had to do in the name of war. But understanding, brothers and sisters, it's not for anybody to cultivate a heart that's willing and ready to take the life of another. So it is. We've got to think about the judgment. And remember the judgment. That God is the God that sees all. The eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch over the good and over the evil, Proverbs 15 and verse 3. Hebrews 4 and verse 12, and how it is that God discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's no creature that's hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Here's the question. With your right in defending your homestead or with your right in uh, taking another life and 
those things that Americans have given you? Have you ever thought about what if it was that that person might have a chance to obey the gospel or might have obeyed the gospel? If it is that that person might have had an opportunity to learn the truth and turn their life around. Hebrews 12, verse 14, pursue peace with all men. Hebrews 12, 28, therefore, seeing we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and fear. Hebrews 12, verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Brothers and sisters, we've got to remember that with regard to how we treat other people and how we want to love them and respect them and be peaceable towards them, that we're going to have to stand before God one day and give an account for how it is that we have respected life or how we have not respected life. About how it is that we have honored other people or how we have not honored other people. And I would hate to go into the judgment with the wrong attitude towards my Christian brothers and sisters or towards my human brothers and sisters. You see, God sent Jesus here not to judge the world, John 3 and verse 15. God didn't send Jesus here to pronounce judgment on every person, but that the world might be saved through him. If we are following in Jesus' steps, we see that he took on the form of a servant and didn't try and destroy somebody because he had the power to do it. We know that he did. In fact, James and John wanted him to. They said, Lord, this Samaritan village doesn't receive us. Let's call down fire from above like Elijah. Yeah, let's get up. Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you're of. Jesus would say of himself, John 10, or excuse me, Mark 10, verse 45, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Brothers and sisters, we do well if we walk in his steps. Let's go out this week and find somebody to love and find somebody that needs to know that they are valuable in the eyes of their creator. Not because, well, not because of anything that they've done, but because they've been created in his image. Because he loves them as much as he loves you. Because he wants a relationship with them as much as it is that he has a relationship with you. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. Let's go out and let's love people who are created in the image of God. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.